0: Well, Pastor Jeff already said, go to First Corinthians 12, and I will confess that uh, that was just totally unfair, right? Just totally unfair. You guys all have to wait. So it was unfair to you. You have to wait for this big announcement, and, uh, and then it's unfair to me. Now, I, you guys are just going to kind of twiddle your thumbs and try to pass the time or hurry me up, right? Um, but uh, <laughs> so maybe I can distract you. Let me try to distract you with a story, all right? We'll try that. I know... Uh, um, I was been traveling. I traveled uh, to St. Louis um, the uh, week before last, and uh, was doing some training there. And uh, on my flight out, I, I'm not uh, I'm not that excited about flying anymore. And I'm sure if you saw the headlines uh, recently, there's there's uh, it's justified, right? We're all kind of justified to be a little bit nervous about flying. And uh, my experience. As I was flying to St. Louis, happened the week before the tragedy from uh, the flight out of New York to to Dallas, and I'll just say that because I, I thought my experience was crazy, and I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but it, my experience was certainly not tragic, um, as that story was uh, with the loss of a life, and so you know obviously flying can be um, an adventure to say the least. And so we had taken off; we're heading toward St. Louis, and uh, um. You know when there's a hundred plus people on a plane, right I mean you could be sitting anywhere and there could be something going on in front of you behind you, and you could be completely clueless to it and uh, i've not traveled a ton i won 't say i'm a seasoned traveler by any stretch of the imagination but um, I've you know been on enough flights to see uh, you know some pretty crazy turbulence to hear people you know screaming and yelling as uh, the plane you know goes up and down through whatever storm it's doing and I've seen medical emergencies when they get on the intercom and they call for somebody uh, that's uh, you know a doctor or a paramedic uh, to uh, to help because somebody is in need of help uh, but what I've never been a part of was an emergency landing and that's what I got to be a part of on this flight to St. Louis. Now of course you don't know that when you buy the ticket maybe they would charge you more for the excitement I don't know but uh, not only that but I happened to be sitting in the row right in front of the person who ended up needing help and so I was sitting there minding my own business when I see this lady start to get a little frantic and she begins to press the button and ask around saying she needs help and I look In front of me to see her husband who was really struggling to breathe. And as he uh, began to struggle breathing, just lo and behold, the person right in front of of, uh, this woman was a nurse. And so she turns around and she immediately starts kind of telling everybody in the vicinity, here's what we need to do. We need to get this guy laying down. And so everybody kind of starts moving around a little bit as we're in mid-flight and we're trying to get this gentleman out of his seat laying down in the aisle, which is is not easy to do. Um, As you know, it's just hard to even get down an aisle, much less find a seat in a plane anymore. And yet we're trying to get this guy out of his seat and prostrate in an aisle. And uh, while all of that was happening, it's happening right in front of me. And I quickly realized I need to get out of the way. Um, I am not a paramedic. Um, I am not the son of a paramedic. I don't know anything that needs to happen right now. And uh, my limitations were obvious. And so I uh, grab my bag and everything, and I just kind of get out of the way while trying to usher people in and help at least get this guy down into the aisle. And while that was happening, I watched as this man stopped breathing. He was gone. And so now... These paramedics jump in. There's a nurse. There's a couple of paramedics. There's a guy saying, hey, I'm a physician. And I step back in my limitations, and I do the only thing that I know that I can do. And I just begin to pray for this man. Um, God, please don't let this man go on this flight, right? I mean, that's, this, this can't be happening. And I began to watch as, and I didn't even know this was possible, but there was this this gal. She was apparently like a a, a medevac, uh, you know, a paramedic. I mean, this is what she does is she swoops in and helps people. And so she is literally in the floor space where my feet had been. I, I didn't know somebody could fit down there. And she's down there in that floor space so that she can position herself to begin to give compressions to the chest of this man. And they began to form CPR. And, and then I watched as another guy jumped in and he began to do all the counting. And then as he was doing the counting and they would take the break, then he started kind of lining up. Okay, we're gonna have her go this long. And then as she gets tired, you're gonna jump in next. And people are literally like climbing over seats and positioning themselves in such a way that they can jump in and they can continue to do this. And all the while I am in the way. I'm literally standing in the aisle trying to be out of the way as the, the flight attendant goes back and forth from, you know, the phone to talk to the, the pilot to say, here's what's going on. And the pilot obviously is trying to figure out, is there a place to land? And all of this is just happening while I think the vast majority of the front of the plane is are just watching a movie or something. I mean, they're just clueless. Nobody knows this is happening, yet I'm watching all of this happen right in front of me. And then they got the thing. I don't even know what it's called, right? But they're going to shock the guy. And, uh, and so they're, you know, they're saying, you know clear, right? And how do you clear in an airplane? I mean, everybody seems to be touching this person at this point, right? Like, we're all just so crammed in there. But a couple different times, like, they shock the guy in order to try to get him back. And at some point, they resuscitate him. And we begin to see Dan breathe again. And so Dan is breathing and, and everyone around there is, you know, kind of celebrating, but everyone's getting, you know, like, is he stable, right? Like none of us, again, those of us that are not medically inclined, we, we, I mean, we have no clue what's going on other than we know Dan's breathing. And so now they have an IV. So there's a guy holding an IV. And it, it, what was just astounding to me, and I remember about halfway through this just crazy tragedy, and, you know, I guess on the cusp of tragedy as, as it was happening, this crisis, I remember making eye contact with one of the flight attendants who was kind of just on a chair watching all of this happen. Seemingly as helpless as I was, Um, you know, making sure that there were the people who had the skill to help were jumping in to help. And I was positive as I made eye contact with him that this man, grown man, he's probably been on who knows how many flights, was crying. And sure enough, that same man is where now making our descent to this emergency landing so the medical team can jump on and they can get Dan off. Um, this man gets on the intercom and he says, hey, I just want to tell everybody that Dan's breathing, right? So the place erupts, you know, everybody's cheering, everybody's excited that Dan is not dead, right? Because that would have been a terrible experience for us all. Um, So we're excited, number one, right? But then he goes on and he says this, he says, you know, I was moved to tears as I watched all of these complete strangers jump in and everybody take on a different role so that we could do everything we possibly could to save Dan. And I thought, man, that's exactly right. I was moved by that. As I, as I stood in the aisle, literally in the way, fully aware of my own limitations and inability to do anything that could possibly help Dan other than pray, I was moved to watch how in such a tight space where everything was inconvenient and uncomfortable, yet there were people just literally contorting their body in such a way to get into a position to do anything they possibly could to help Dan. And I thought, what a picture, right? As we open the Bible today to 1 Corinthians 12, and we talk together about what, it, what does it mean for the church to be the church? What does it mean for the church to jump in and serve one another? What does it mean for us to use the gifts and the skills and the abilities that God has given us to ultimately see the salvation of souls? I got to see a picture of that, I think, on this Southwest flight to St. Louis. And so I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 12, and while you're doing that, look up here on the screen, and I'll tell you today our big idea of this morning, our main idea idea. And here it is. Jesus saves you into his family, the church, okay? The church is a family. Jesus makes us family. I hope that you understand that, that this isn't merely an organization, though it is that. Um, And this isn't merely an institution, though as much as the church would like to avoid it, we are that. But it's not merely those things, and it's not merely an event that happens on Sunday, um, though we do gather on Sunday, and it's not merely something that happens during the week in community, though we gather in community groups during the week. We've covered those things the last couple of weeks. But Jesus saves us into a family, sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, We are a family. That's what the church is. Jesus saves us into a family. So every believer needs the church. And the church needs every believer. there's, There's no exceptions to that. We're a family. And so every family member is needed and every family member needs the church. So every believer needs the church. The church needs every believer. And Jesus calls the church to love one another As he is loved through service and sacrifice. Now that's a big main idea, but what we're going to see is how simply, how simply the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, the family of Jesus in the city of Corinth, how Paul really teases out that main idea in this section, okay? And so let's jump in together. I'm going to start in verse four. And as I start in verse four, I, I want you to see just how right away each member of the family is gifted for each other. Uh, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, right off the bat, I want you to see how the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is present and active in the context of the church family. It is through the Spirit that he is gifting the church, Paul just told us. And it is through Jesus that we are given opportunities to participate in serving the church. There are ministries for us to participate in. And it is through the Father that the gifts we exercise in the services that we, or opportunities that we're given, that God determines for us what the outcome or the activities or the effects of those ministries are going to be. It's kind of crazy, right, to wrap our mind around just how involved and active God himself is in the community, the family that is the church. But that's exactly what Paul just told us. He made sure we understood This isn't uh, a a, a passing thought. This isn't something where God just saves us and then kind of throws us or dumps us into a group or a club. No, this is a family, and he is active. He is present, and he is gifting each member. He is providing the opportunities for each member. He is even determining what the effect and outcome is as each member exercises those gifts and the opportunities that he's given. That's mind-boggling, right? To think of the goodness of the Father to be so present and active in the context of the church. Now, what I want you to know, I guess a couple things I want you to know as you look at verse 7, okay, is... Paul, in this part of his letter to, to the church in Corinth, he, he does spend some time here in chapter 12, and he's going to kind of really run through this whole thread all the way into uh, chapter 14, and we're not going to cover all of that, and he's going to dig into this, some specific gifts, and so I want you to know we're not going to jump in to all of the different specific gifts this morning, okay? We're not going to do that. Uh, simply because it's my choice, okay? And we're not gonna do it. No, we're not gonna do that because that would take way more time for us to do. And, and and so I don't wanna try to unpack all of that today, number one. Number two, we actually have here at Generations um, this, uh, this great, we call it a pathway or a process for you to jump into, and it's called Connecting Points. You've probably heard us announce that. And so what it is, is connecting points are these three kind of steps to, to jumping into the family here at Generations. And one of those steps is, um, is an assessment that we do that helps you identify how God has gifted you, the passions that he's given you, and then the specific ministries of the church where you could, um, you could, you could dive in. Okay, And so we have that. So I, I, we're not diving into all those gifts today, but you can dive into this pathway we have with Connecting Points and we'll help you with that. So I want you to know that. We're not going to jump into all the gifts today. But I also want you to know, look at verse 7 again. I want you to know that every disciple of Jesus has been given a gift for the sake of the church. He says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And, and in case that, I mean, that's that's different language, right? Like what's Paul talking about? Why does he use this language of manifestation of the Spirit? But what he's already told us is the Spirit's activity in the family is to give gifts. That was verse four. And so the manifestation, the outcome, the example, the, the, how, the evidence that the Spirit is indwelling His people, one of the evidences is that we see the gifts that He's given us being used, being used for what? Being used so that we can make much of ourselves, being used so that we can build a platform so people would, you know, follow us or look to us. Like, what are we using these gifts for? Are are these gifts so that, you know, we can grow in our own walk? What did he say in verse seven that these gifts are for? I'll read it again. To each is given the manifestation of, of the Spirit for the common good. How about that, right? If you are a disciple of Jesus, you have been gifted by the spirit of Jesus for the sake of the family of Jesus. This isn't about you. And this isn't about me, though God saves us, though God forgives us, though God indwells us, though God does this redemptive work in us, though all of that is a story that is personal and it's intimate, and every one of us has a testimony like that if we're a follower of Jesus. But it's not ultimately about us, is it? But instead, what what if I said it really simply? Every believer is gift is a gifted believer for the sake of every other believer. Every believer is a gifted believer for the sake of every other believer. That's really the simplest way that you could say that, that God saves us not just so that we can bask in the glory of his goodness, though we do that, but God saves us so that we can be a participant in this ministry. And as the church is built up together, we mature together and we're going to see Jesus made much of in the community and in the lives of the people around us, which is his mission. Now, we'll get into that in just a minute. So while we're not going to get into all of these gifts, what I do want to do is I want to answer a question then, and it's a simple one. Now that we know God is active and present in the community of the church, the family of the church, and now that we know that every believer is a gifted believer for the sake of the common good of the church, how should we view these gifts? How should we view them? And and what Paul's gonna go on to do is he's gonna give us kind of these three different ways that we could view our gifts, okay? And so I want you to look down at verse 12 because the first couple of ways he's going to unpack this statement that he makes here in verse 12. Okay, so the, the first way that we could view our gifts is we could view our gifts through this lens that other gifts are more valuable than mine. And so here's what he says, for just as the body is one, verse 12, and has many members and all the members of one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And so he has this kind of two ways initially of us viewing our gifts. The body's one and has many members. There's many members to the body and, and yet they're one. Okay. Okay. So I want you to, to stick with that for those, those two phrases because what he's going to do now is, is he's going to, subsequent paragraphs are going to unpack that for us. Okay, so just as the body is one and has many members, jump down to verse 14 and see how he begins to, to, to tease us out. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, it almost seems like a Sesame Street uh, like show, doesn't it, at this point? I mean, the way that he's talking, right? Um, I mean, you can kind of envision the Muppets kind of, you know, you know mouthing out these words. And, and there is somewhat of a really simplistic comedy to what he's describing. That if, if, if you're a part of the body and your job is to be the foot, you can't look at the other members of the body and the gifts and the, and, and the, uh, the skills that they bring and say, well, you know, this foot thing's okay, but I'm not the hand. And since I'm not the hand, I really don't belong. Right? I mean, that, that just doesn't make sense. And that's Paul's whole point. That doesn't make any sense for us. If the ear, he says in verse 16, should say, you know, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And so just, you know, kind of driving home the point. If the whole body were an eye, how would we hear? Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, Where would the sense of smell be? How would we smell? But as it is, verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So again, this is God's doing. God is the one who's active and present in the life of his people, gifting them, providing the opportunities, determining the outcomes. That's what we already know. Verse 19 kind of sums it up. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So this first kind of idea that he teases out is, guys, look, we know there's one body, but there's many members to it. And so every single one of us, when we are around the church community and, and we look for ways to, to bring the value and gifts and service to the church community, we can't look around and say, uh, you know what, I, the, my, my gifts, they're just not as valuable as others. All these other gifts are more valuable than mine. Um. All of us can be guilty of that, can't we? There may be some of you who've served faithfully week in and week out here at Generations. And there's, there's mornings that you gather during the week when you're, when you're exercising the gift and the service that you bring to this community. And so there may be weeks, right, where you could sit there. May, maybe you're in, in the nursery and you're holding a crying baby and you're thinking like, this just can't be the most valuable thing I could be doing. There there has to be something else that I could be doing to serve the church that's more valuable than this. But, But here's the thing, if you're that nursery worker, I know a long list of moms that are unbelievably grateful for your ability to love and care for little people because they're in the service listening and growing and participating, being refreshed by the word of God through the spirit of God as they lift up Jesus, the son of God. See, all of us are guilty of that. All of us can fall into this ditch, if you will, of looking at our gifts and looking at the gifts of others and saying, you know what, they're just more valuable than mine. Um, I've, I've sat, um, in, the, in the past, I've sat with, uh, with guys who were extremely gifted to lead in music. And yet I've heard them say, you know what, I just, I just wish I could preach. That's what I wanna do. And you know what? I can sit here week in and week out and I can say, man, I really wish I could play the guitar. Right? All of us can do that. It doesn't matter how you're gifted. It really doesn't. You could be gifted in counseling. You could be gifted in, in preaching. You could be gifted in serving. You could be gifted in speaking. You could be gifted in, in, in finances. You could, there's so many different ways that God gifts his people for the common good. And yet all of us can look at the gifts of others and say, you know what? They're just more valuable than mine. I just wish that I had this. I just wish that I had that. That's one way that we could view our gifts in light of the church. And Paul is trying to help us see, no, no, no. It's God's good intention that there be diversity and distinction among us. In fact, it's necessary. Because if all of us have the exact same gifts, just like if the body was only made up of one part, what would we say about that? You guys remember the Adams family? right? Like, wh- wasn't it called the hand? I mean, it didn't have a name, right? Because all it was was a hand, right? That's just freaky. That's all that is. I mean, if all of us were just the same thing and that's what made up the body, right? We would just say, that's, that's freaky. That's, that's not right. That's dysfunctional. Like, that's not a body. And that's God's, that's, that's God's point. And so he's sparing us from this place of viewing the gifts of others is more valuable by saying, no, no, no. It's by my design, my purpose, my choosing that I have gifted you with the gifts I've given you. And those gifts are valuable. They're needed in the context of the church community. And so let's, let's move on because he's gonna kind of now tease out that other part of the idea. So here's what he says. Now remember, we're kind of unpacking that Verse 12. For just as the body is one it has many members, okay, he just teased that out, verses 14 to, to 19. Now, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, okay? So now he's going to tease that out. So look, verse 20, as it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. I love I love just the strength of these words. They're indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, we actually bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may be that the members may have the same care for one another. For if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so now what's, what's, what's Paul going at here, right? If, if in one sense, we can view the gifts of others as more valuable than our own. What he's addressing now is how we can, we can be in the context of this family, the church, all of us gifted for the sake of everyone else. And yet we could view the gifts of others as less valuable, as inferior, inferior to our own. And and Paul said, hey, maybe there's a ditch on this side. we got a ditch on the other side. We can, all of us can fall into this trap. We can view things this way and it's not right for us to view them this way. And so he uses all of this language. Again, it's not as much a Sesame Street thing now, right? Because, uh, the kids aren't going to follow the whole, like, you know, indispensable, weaker, presentable, unpresentable, right? They're not going to follow that quite as well. And so he's kind of getting a little bit deeper into um, us, this this analogy, this metaphor of the body. Um, I remember when I turned 17. Um, I don't know if any of you guys can recall your 17th birthday, um, but, uh, you know, that's getting, you know, further and further away from me now, And uh, and yet... Most of us could maybe recall our 16th birthday. I mean, that's probably when you got a driver's license or something like that, right? That's a big one. Or, you know, when you turn 18 and, and you can vote, I mean, not that that's really the issue. It's usually probably, right, you can smoke. That was maybe what some of you are excited about. But you can vote. Uh, that's supposedly the big thing. You're an adult now at 18, um, right? I mean, we, there's, there's different markers in our life. You know, maybe you grew up in, um, in a, a Hispanic family and you had a quinceañera and you, know, and you can remember Like that's just this moment in your life that you can remember, right? Well, I remember my 17th birthday. That's usually one that just kind of falls by the wayside. And I remember it because um, I was in a hospital on a hospital bed and I just had my appendix removed, right? Happy birthday. Um, And so that's, I remember my 17th birthday. How can I forget my 17th birthday, right? I, I remember the day before I was down with friends, We're outside, you know, playing some sand volleyball, active energy, youth, right? All those good things that, you know, uh, that we we nostalgically look back on. I I remember all of that. I remember, you know, eating probably an absurd amount of pizza and not even, you know, not just not even making a dent, you know. And, you know, I do that now and I can't sleep. Um, I just, I remember, I remember all the things I did that day. And then I just remember getting sick. I remember thinking, man, did I eat something funny? Like, what, why do I feel this way? And, and I remember being in just pain, excruciating pain, wondering what was wrong with this pizza? And I was like downing antacids. I remember this day. I mean, I was just thinking there's got to be something that would take away this pain. And I was at a friend's house like 30 minutes away from where I live. And so I get in my car and just make this painful drive um, you know, back to my house. And, uh, and I remember I just went to bed, and my dad called me the next morning, and he's like, hey, you know, uh, if this pain starts moving over to your hip, your right hip, I don't even know if this is, my dad. Like I said, my dad's not a paramedic, I already told you that, um, so I don't know where he got this. But he's like, you know, we, we really should probably get you checked out. And I remember I woke up, and I I just I was so sore I could barely stand up straight. And, and here's the thing I remember the most about this whole experience is I went to the bathroom to brush my teeth, and I, don't, I didn't know this was a thing, but my tongue was black. And I guess from all the acids, anybody anybody ever down that many acids that your tongue turned black? But I remember my tongue, I mean, I thought I was dying. I was a 17-year-old kid, like, freaking out. My tongue's black, right? What's going on? I can't stand up straight. I'm in pain. I'll never forget my 17th birthday because here I was, a young man, plenty of strength, plenty of energy, right? Invincible. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen an appendix, right? Like we don't usually sport those things, right? Like we don't usually show that off, okay? Nobody wears a tank top so that their appendix shows, right? Like I don't know if anybody's ever got a a tattoo of an appendix, right? We don't celebrate the appendix, but this small little thing was wrecking me. (laughs) Like this small piece of my body was completely just wrecking the rest of my body that's Paul's point here. Hey, like when one of us suffers, we all suffer. And when one of us is honored, we all rejoice in that. Because those those parts of the body that maybe you think are less valuable than than you, those parts of the body that you, you give less honor to, it's actually those parts of the body that God has determined in his wisdom to make indispensable to us. And that's so true, isn't it? That's so true. Generations, just think about when we gather here on a Sunday. Um, I, uh, I didn't even ask for permission um, to, to say this because I know he probably wouldn't have given it to me. But, right, the Setup and Teardown team. Casey does an amazing job leading the Setup and Teardown team, right? And there's usually, yeah, you, we can say great job with that, because he does. He does. does an amazing job with that, and there's typically not a long line of people saying, I want to sign up to do that. I want to show up early, and I want to just push and move some things around, and that's what I want to do, right? That, that's, there's typically not a long line for that, but if the rest of us showed up to gather and exalt the name of Jesus, and participate in communion, and, and, and experience the, just the blessing that we've already talked about that is generation worshiping together, and the setup team didn't come, right? It impacts all of us, doesn't it? All of us are impacted by that. It's, that's Paul's whole point. However God has gifted you, We can't look at the gifts of of others and say, you know, these are just more valuable than mine. But we also can't look at the gifts of others, the service of others, and say, you know what, they're not as valuable as mine. Because everyone is gifted in the church for everyone else. We're all needed. That's the wisdom of God. And so God's done this, as it says here in verses 20 down to 26. He's done this in his wisdom for a couple of different reasons, hasn't he? He's composed the body this way so that there isn't division. There shouldn't be division. I need you and you need me. We need one another in the diversity and distinction of gifts. Instead of division, it's to promote care for one another. I and mean, that's what this is. That's what this is. And so just this morning, I can walk. Meg's out of town with Kate, my daughter. And so I've got the four boys all right, I, I couldn't do this without gin Kids this morning. I couldn't. If I had my four boys sitting over here where they normally sit, I would be so stinking distracted this entire time because they can't sit still. And at some point, they're gonna be jumping around the chairs. And I'm gonna hear every one of those chairs, right? When you get up, just blah, 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 you know, do that thing that it does. And it's just, I'm, it's gonna drive me insane. And I couldn't do it. And so I'm walking over, right? And I'm gonna check my kids into gin Kids. And I'm grateful for those who love and serve and disciple our little people. But yet while I'm checking in, I can have a conversation with Antonio who's running check-in, who's out there greeting everybody, smiling, he's excited, everything seems to be going well, but I can say, man, how are you doing? And Antonio can tell me, you know what, my daughter's sick. And so we stop and we pray. Guys, we need one another. Do you see that, generations? We need one another. Every single one of us has been placed here because you're needed and you need the church. That's just the way that it goes. And I think it is a travesty. And and, and I think maybe in some ways we're growing out of it. But for a long time, a generation at least, we have had this mentality that our, our faith is something that's simply individualistic between me and Jesus. And I don't need the church. And if that's the thinking that you have, you are just grossly misunderstanding the salvation of God and the blessing that he gives us in the community of his people. We need one another. And so if we're not to look at the gifts of others as more valuable than ours, and we're not to look at the gifts of others as less valuable than ours, then what do we do with these gifts? How do we view the gifts that God has given us in light of the church family? And that's where Paul is going to conclude, and we'll conclude together. Look at this last idea. He starts, I'm going to start in in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, and then we're going to read down through a little bit of chapter 13. But Jesus calls me to love his people with these gifts of mine. So verse 31, he's kind of, again, He's walked through these gifts. He says, desire the higher gifts. So we're not diving into all the gifts today. Jump into connecting points. Let us walk you through these specific gifts and how you're gifted. But look at how he closes this, um, this little diatribe that he's made on us all being gifted and how we view him. He says, and I will still show you a more excellent way. And so when we get to 1 Corinthians 13, right, you guys, where, where do you hear 1 Corinthians 13? You tell me. Weddings, right? Right? As if the Apostle Paul was writing to the church of Corinth who had needed to hear all these different words that he had to say, you know, specifically around the gifts and how they were using the gifts and all the different division that was amongst them and him trying to help them see, no, 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 no. The gifts, every one of you is gifted. You all need each other. There shouldn't be division. You should be caring for each other. And then he just all of a sudden was like, you know what the church really needs? They need some verses for a wedding, right? I mean, that's, that's not what he was doing here. That's all he's doing. It actually flows one thing into the other. That's what he's doing with 1 Corinthians 13 is he's now showing us a more excellent way. We can't view our gifts as as less valuable. We can't view our gifts as more valuable. How should we view these gifts? What should we do with these gifts? And he says, let me show you. There there is a more excellent way for us to go about this. Let me show you what it looks like. And then he jumps in and he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Did you catch what he's saying? You know what? I could have all the speaking gifts in the world. I could speak in ways that would move people. I mean, I could speak in some angelic language for crying out loud. But if I don't have love, I'm just making noise. That's all it is. I'm just making noise. And he goes on, he says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? Like, I want to run that team, right? (laughs) Casey you and I would have a long list of people ready to jump into our team if we had all prophetic powers and knowledge and faith that was moving mountains around right but Paul says look you could have all that and what is he going to say but have not love and what is it it's nothing be the most gifted person in the world you could have the most amazing gifts in the world you, you you could you could you could literally move the earth with the faith and a gift of faith that God's given you but if you don't love just like those speaking is a noisy symbol those exercising these powerful gifts really have nothing and then look what he says verse three And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, I mean, we're talking passion here. Are you passionate about what God has given you and the the ministries that God's called you to? Are you passionate about those things? We're talking about devotion here. Are you devoted? Are you devoted to the point that you would literally give the possessions of your life away in order to follow Jesus and the calling that he's given you? Are you passionate about it? Are you devoted to it? Are you convicted in what God has called you to and gifted you to do? Would you go to the point of your body being burned? I mean, guys, this is an amazing resume that he's stacking up here. Devotion, conviction, passion. But what does he say? You could have all of that, but have not love, and you have gained nothing. Those are really powerful words, aren't they? that we could look at all the gifts. We could see a very gifted people in this church family. We could see faith and healings and and, and knowledge being proclaimed. And we could see devotion and conviction and sacrifices being made. And, and, And we could just go and run the gamut of everything that God has given in his present activity amongst the church. But if we don't love one another, it all is for nothing and why is that why would paul go to that great of a length to 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 help the church understand that they are gifted and to help them begin to grasp the specific gifts they've been given And then to instruct them in how they can use those gifts, all of them being needed for one another so that the church could grow and not be divided, but ultimately care for one another. Why would he go through all of this instruction to get to the end of it and say, but you know what really matters is you need to love each other. I think what Paul's doing is he's echoing the Lord Jesus. And that's why no matter how you view your gifts, we can't view the gifts of others as less valuable than mine. We can't view the gifts of others as more valuable than mine. We have to see that Jesus calls us to love the church with these gifts of mine, these gifts of yours. We have to see that because that's really what Jesus has done for us. And I'll put just a couple verses up here on the screen in closing, because I want you to see how Paul is just echoing the words of the Lord Jesus in the context of his family. This is out of Mark chapter 10, where Jesus says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the context of this conversation that Jesus is having right here, um, maybe some of you already know this, but if you don't, the disciples had just gone back and forth about which of them was the greatest. Um, They'd had this argument. And it had started because a couple of them had come to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, can we have the places of honor in your kingdom? Like one of us on your left side, one of us on your right side, you know? And so that way, like, you know, every time somebody takes a picture of the throne, like, you know, we're right there, you know, beside you. Wouldn't that be awesome, Jesus? If like we got those places of honor, can you do that? And the other disciples found out that that request had been made. And instead of just like rolling their eyes and being like, you know, what a bunch of posers. Like, they just got mad. And because now they're like, well, we need that too, right? And so now they're all fighting about, well, no, they're not the greatest, I'm the greatest. And if somebody's gonna be honored, I'll be honored. And that's what's happening, right? It's really similar language to what we see in 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? And and Jesus tells them, look, guys, um, I know the world works a certain way where those that rule Lord over And the great ones, they really dominate. That's the language that he uses. And he says, but it's not going to work that way among you. Now, who's he talking about? Just the 12 guys hanging out with him? Yeah. It's not going to be this way among my people. My people are going to work differently than the way the world works. So if you want to be great, you're going to serve. And if you want to be the greatest, then you'll be the slave of all. And then he says this. Because I came, and I didn't come here for you guys to serve me. I came to serve you. And ultimately to give my life as a ransom. Now, this was a conversation that Jesus was having on his way to Jerusalem and Mark. Let me show you how that conversation played out once they got there. This is in the Gospel of John, John 13. You guys know how Jesus got his disciples together and he washed their feet? Do you guys know that? Um, Do you think there was a long list of people signing up to wash feet? You think that was an honorable role? Right, no, no way. No way, man. I cut some of my boys' nails this morning, their toenails, and that grosses me out. And that's, that's my own kids, and I knew they were clean. Okay. I don't want to wash some, some dude's feet. They've been walking dusty roads and, you know, there's no cars, right? It's all animals. No, I don't want to do that. I'm not signing up for that. And yet Jesus gets his disciples together and as would have been the custom before a meal, they're all going to wash. And Jesus takes the, the lowest role that would have been given to the slaves of a household and he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes his disciples' feet. And then he says this, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And it's just a few verses later that he says, look, look, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, how has he loved them? How has he loved them at this point? He served them. That's how he's loved them. That's that's why Paul is saying everything that he's saying in 1 Corinthians 12. He's echoing not just the words of Jesus, but the example of Jesus. Listen, guys, we can all gather together. We can do this thing together. We can can worship together. We can be community together. Like we can jump on teams and serve. But what's going to happen is it's just gonna be division. And it's just gonna be, you know, those of us fighting and, and, and jostling and trying to get the honor unless we understand we've been loved by Jesus and he's called us to love one another the way he's loved us with these gifts. We serve each other. We serve each other. That's how we've been loved, so therefore we can love like that. He serves. He washes feet. That's what he's done. Here's the last one. This is John 15. Same conversation. But Jesus says to them again, he echoes a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That's how Jesus has loved us. Serving us, sacrificing for us. Generations, I I want us to be a church community that does the things we say we're passionate about. We proclaim the gospel. We live in community. We're on mission together. But if we're going to be successful, if we're going to be fruitful, if we're going to see God do the work that we all hope and pray that we see him do amongst this church community, it is not going to be done simply because we're gifted or simply because we exercise those gifts or simply because we just show up. It's going to be done because we learn to love one another like Jesus has loved us with those gifts. Serving one another, sacrificing one for one another. And in fact, what Jesus actually ends that uh, comment in verse thir- chapter 13, verse 35, he says, the world will know you're my disciples. The world, what, how will Los Al, how will the community around you, how will the world around us know that we are followers of Jesus? How does he end it? Because of how gifted we are? because of our faith that's moving mountains, because of the eloquence of our speech, because of our devotion and conviction. Do you you know how he ends it? The world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So let's, let's learn, generations, to love one another as Jesus has loved us, serving and sacrificing with these gifts he's given us. Let's pray together, and then Pastor Jeff's gonna walk us through our time of response. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity you've given us today to open up your word and be reminded that you love us and you love us in that you are present here with us. You do not abandon us as orphans, but when you adopt us as sons and daughters, you engage with us, you are present with us, you, you are active and intimate and near to us. Father, thank you for that. And not only are you here, but you give to us. You bless us. You fill us with your spirit. You give gifts to us through that spirit. You you provide opportunities for us to use those gifts for the church family around us to grow. And, and yet they're doing the same. And so we're growing together with them. And Father, it's just an amazing picture of how the church is, is a body, your body. And so we thank you, Father, for Um, this picture that you've given us. And we pray that we at Generations, that we would be that kind of church, not valuing the gifts of others more, not um, valuing the gifts of others less, but instead just looking for ways to love each other, serving and sacrificing with these gifts you've given us. Father, make us that kind of church that we could see not only us growing, but we could see the world around us looking to Jesus because you've saved us and changed us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.